Hi everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Nick Kenner, founder and CEO at Just Salad. Just Salad is the roughly 50 location salad chain that spans everywhere from New York City and Philadelphia to Chicago and even Dubai. But unlike other food chains, sustainability has been core to the business ever since Nick started over a decade ago. In the episode, you'll hear how Nick has prioritized sustainability across the entire organization, from bringing on a chief sustainability officer, publishing their zero waste roadmap, which includes running the world's largest reusable bowl program, and all of the ways sustainability has driven commercial success across the company's life cycle. So without further ado, buckle in for a fascinating interview with Nick Kenner, founder and CEO at Just Salad. Nick, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. We have a lot of ground to cover today. I'm ecstatic that you found time to, to speak this morning. So let's jump right in. Just can you give a brief intro? What is Just Salad? Well, the name would lend itself to something narrow. Um, that is Just Salad. But no, we're trying to tackle healthy eating, sustainable eating in the country and the world. So it's a big, it's a big mission of ours. And, uh, you know, so far, so good. So today, Just Salad is a rather large chain. Its footprint spans multiple cities. But before getting into where we are today, I'd love to rewind to the early days. So can you just speak a little bit about what you were doing before Just Salad and what was that initial eureka moment? So I grew up in New York City in the West Village. I went to Colgate University in upstate New York. I had always wanted to start my own business, never had a eureka moment, graduated college, like a lot of people uh, who are not sure of what they want to do, I ended up in finance, some end up as lawyers, you know, and kind of trying to find some passion. I actually, I didn't mind. I, I kind of liked it. I was working midtown Manhattan. I was on a trading floor with about 40 people. This is from 2003 to 2005. I did that in a total of three years. And there was this moment where I was one of 40 people ordering salads every day on seamless web. We were early seamless web adopters and we were ordering them from places that we thought were not doing a good job and they weren't specializing in salads and they were mostly delis or selling soup primarily. And so it was literally me coming home that night, turning to my roommate, who was my best friend from middle school, who was also in finance, And I turned to him and I said, dude, like, what if we started a company that just did salad? I think there's like a huge business opportunity there. And we also felt we could envision this in the national landscape, not just New York City. Uh, And we also were both 25. We wanted to do something we felt good about. So it really checked off a lot of boxes. And when I said it to him, he immediately resonated and was like, Duh. Yeah, that will be amazing. 
And then I remember going, but the name's kind of cheesy and corny. He's like, no, 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 no. That's, that's, that's it. That's it. We're going to just do salad. And uh, yeah. And then the journey, I mean, that's obviously right. The easy part. Uh, there's millions of people that have had that moment, by the way. And then it usually stops. <laughs> and then you go back to your job. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and so, but I couldn't get this out of my head. And my father had always told me, if you're going to start a business, do it before 25. And so there was a sense of urgency at that time for me. And we took a shoe store that was a thousand square feet and converted it into the first Just Salad. Since the actual first days of Just Salad, you've been thinking about zero waste, reducing waste. So I think this is a good opportunity to segue to something you guys just published last week. This piece around their zero waste mission and the tenants that make part of that. But before we get into the details there, I want to start broad. From 2006, you were thinking about zero waste. Today, you have a chief sustainability officer. You have this mass reusable bowl program. Why do you think this has been built into the kind of core DNA of Just Salad for the last now over 10 years? And kind of broadly speaking, how do you think that's kind of defined Just Salad from the early days through today? I mean, I take it for granted that I care, but look, at the end of the day, Just Salad is still founder and CEO led. I still own a majority of the company. I'm, we don't have private equity money. We don't have venture capital money. We've grown steadily and organically. And frankly, I care. So if I care, I want to hire a chief sustainability officer. I want to make sure that we're doing um, our part. I've got three kids. I want to feel proud of what we're doing on what is the most important issue of our time and probably humanity. So it's it's important to me. And now it's really important to Sandra, who's our chief sustainability officer. And it's really important to the people who work at Just Salad, not just the quote unquote corporate team, but also everyone in the stores has really um, bought into this and it's accelerated on Just Salad's end. We've always had a reusable bowl program, which is now the largest restaurant reusable program in the United States, maybe world. And we were actually recently recognized by the EPA for that, which under Trump is a pretty big accomplishment. So it's always been in our DNA, but I think the last two years we've taken it to another level and I think we're going to continue to take it to the next level. And what that next level looks like for us is we have basically a prioritization pyramid where at the top is not reuse, but reduce. And what that means is we had to look at everything we were doing and say, why are we automatically giving out forks and napkins and bags on deliveries and pickup or walking customers? And so we went back and... Um, we changed that it's to give the customers the ability to opt out of that. And in walk-in customers, we've now actually not made that automatic, but they have to serve themselves for it. And that's actually reduced a lot because a lot of customers don't want it. Next step is instead of making customers opt out over the next few months, they need to opt in. I mean, to get a napkin or a, a fork or a bag. So what will that entail? 
So it's literally a click of a button. So we do a tremendous amount of sales through our app and our online ordering system. And as you check out, there's an ability that's pretty central to opt out of those items. In a few months, you'll need to opt in to get those items, which will, in its sense, as the default, save a ton of ton of resources. Yeah. This is amazing. And if you've seen, I think maybe in the last 30 days, I think Uber Eats was one of the first major third-party platforms to do that as well. Yeah. yeah. Right? And I think, and I, I want to highlight the broader narrative here, which is that you have a chief sustainability officer, you put out a fully flushed out piece around these three tenants, which we'll continue to dive into. This is a model that other companies, other food chains can look to as a model for success, right? By the way, that doesn't cost money. In some cases, what it's done for us is, in that move right there, we can save some money. We can save money by, we look at our bags. They were twice as big as they needed to be. We're cutting them in half. So that's in process right now. That'll save money. We take that money and then we can go from plastic straws to straws made of pasta. Or we can try and go to plastic forks uh, and knives to wooden. And this is where having a chief sustainability officer, it's a full-time job. Making these judgments and analysis, but it's so important and it really elevates the brand and it makes everyone who works at Just Salad mission-oriented as well. I mean, you just look at this too. This is a subtle change to the customer experience that, as you say, has substantial impact, right? Not just in the environment, but also you're, you have to spend less on these resources, yeah. right? The, the, your fixed cost that you invested to utensils and bags probably gone down on a month-to-month basis, right? Yeah, look, being that is one thing that I hope the restaurant industry can start to understand is that sustainability doesn't have to cost more. It probably will most of the time, but you can do it creatively that it doesn't significantly hurt your bottom line. And I think we're also, frankly, at a place where almost where health and wellness was when I started Just Salad, there was this, you know, zeitgeist about health and wellness from like 06 to 2010 that's kind of continually accelerated. I think we're at that moment with sustainability right now where there's a business case that as Generation Z becomes a main consumer with the millennials, you need to be sustainable. I mean, there's not, you don't have a choice. And consumers are smart. They'll see right through it if you're not doing it. That is such an important point. It's a theme that we've tried to hit home across all of our episodes, which is to dispel the notion that sustainability and commercial opportunity are tense counterparts. Yeah. <laughs> they complement each other. I think it's lazy CEOs and CFOs that just don't want to change and make and rationalize, well, you know, it costs too much. Let's not spend our time on that. That's amazing. All right. So reduce. The yeah. second tenant of the is mission is reuse. Yeah. Uh, what does that look like? So the reusable bowl is obviously by far uh, the biggest example of that. And we save 
Traditionally, it's been 75,000 pounds. We've opened a lot of stores. It's almost up to 100,000 pounds of plastic per year through the reusable bowl program. So if you're in New York or Philly or Chicago, where we have close to 40 stores in those areas, you will see people on the streets bringing back this blue Tupperware-like uh, bowl, nicer than Tupperware, but kind of sturdy like that. And it's it truly participated in. That's what the amazing thing is. A lot of people, you know, they create programs, but they don't really incentivize the customer. And we've gotten a lot of people to reuse the bowl that ne- don't necessarily care about the environment, but want free avocado. And that's great. <laughs> you know, we just want those customers to save plastic and be customers. And so the reusable bowl is certainly the core of how we emphasize the reuse tenant. Now we're switching to, uh, we do smoothies as well. And smoothies has been a tough one from an environmental standpoint. We've only recently solved for the straw, which is in process right now. We don't even have the pasta straws in the store, but we haven't solved for the plastic cup. And so Sandra, our chief sustainability officer, you know, basically said, let's go reuse here. And so we're changing out many boards to emphasize that customers are allowed to reuse uh, a, a cup of their choice for the smoothies. And so she's starting to look at all different aspects of that. So, and just mechanically, I'd love to better understand the incentives. So I think at the top of the interview, you talked about free toppings. I saw in the piece that one month a year, you guys do a separate type of incentive program. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So one thing I should say about Jasal is I sound probably more intense than the brand, right? The brand is about accessibility and having fun. So we try and not shove our virtues in your face, but lead you to make the right decisions. And when it comes to the Reuse Bowl, we have fun with it. So we have like the unlimited salad bowl for one month and we have the VIP black bowls. The unlimited salad bowl is, and we did it this past year, it was in April. And you could buy the unlimited salad bowl. It was, I believe it was a little over $100. And it entitled you to one free salad every single day. And so for most of our customers that are diehards, that was a really good bargain because our average salad is around nine bucks. And a lot of them that month came. Exactly. And it's the time of year, by the way, where April in the Northeast and Midwest, you're trying to get back in shape and eat even healthier. And so it's a great way for people to jumpstart even more healthy eating and also get people into the reusable bowl. Even if you don't participate, you kind of see it. And I think it gets people thinking maybe I could reuse a bowl and it's limited supply. So not everyone can get the unlimited salad bowl, but maybe they get a reusable bowl and just get free avocado and save money that way the entire month. And then the VIP bowl is really cool because we give out a hundred black balls and they're done through different contests on social media. Every store manager gets one to give to their favorite customer and you get to skip the line and you get free topping plus a free protein when you do that. And there's a lot of street cred in the stores when you come through with that black. black. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. One last thing that I, I want to make sure we hit home is the level of impact. So I think you, yeah. I think you mentioned the reusable bowl program is the largest, yeah. right? Yep. At least in the U S potentially in the world. 
Yeah, l largest restaurant reusable program. So I'm really proud of it. But look, we have around 50 stores. We'll have 50 stores by January, February. And that's big. But, you know, these there are these chains. There are thousands of chains with more stores than us that if they were to do something would have more impact than us. Wow. The last tenant of the zero waste mission is recycle. It's well, it's composting, then recycling. Gotcha. So, yeah. So after, if you can't reduce, hopefully you, re you reuse. And if you can't reuse, hopefully you can compost. And composting, in my opinion, is the most complicated of them all. Because right now, there's a lot of BS out there on what is compostable and what is not. And this is, again, why you need a chief sustainability officer, because it's advertised for example, all this plastic, this PLA compostable plastic, in New York City and most urban markets, if you put that into compost with a bunch of other food scraps and, and your hauler picks up that, takes it to a composting facility, that then goes to the composting facility, they pick out that plastic and they take it on another truck that goes to a landfill. So for us, what we're trying to do is right now, the only safe thing to compost is, is food. Now, we have these what they call fiber bowls, which are supposed to be compostable as well. They are not. Not in New York City, not in Chicago, not most places. Now, we have those fiber bowls because it is still better environmentally for someone to have a fiber bowl end up in a landfill than plastic. But on the composting side, what Sandra's doing is really special. She's trying to change what composting facilities will accept in New York City to make sure that that's something that could be done. So is the issue, so I have two questions yeah. here. One, A, if something is labeled as compostable, is it mislabeled or two, is it that certain composting Great facilities question. don't have the infrastructure? The answer is different for the fiber and the um, compostable plastic. From what I can see so far, it seems like compostable plastic is almost basically a sham. And that these composting facilities are right not to accept it because it takes way too long to compost and it can contaminate a lot of the other things that are being composted. Frankly, I don't know enough about it to be 100% sure, but that is what I've learned so far through and what Sandra's learned so far. And we're still learning, to be perfectly frank. The fiber ball is not 100% organic. There are chemical compounds in that that are difficult to break down. That being said, it does seem like composting facilities that we've spoken to, as long as those fiber bowls are less than 10% of the organics that they're receiving, those fiber bowls should break down and break down well and not be an issue. And so we feel that composting facilities should be legally required to take those fiber bowls, which are proliferating dramatically across the fast casual landscape, which in New York City is a pretty big source of trash, I think New York City should require composting facilities to accept them as long as it remains below 10% of the organic 
um, waste. And I think it's for these compost facilities, it's kind of a pain because it does take a typical composting takes about 60 days in these facilities. And my understanding is fiber bowls take up to 180. That being said, come on. It's, yeah, I mean, oh, that ends up in a landfill. And uh, I don't know if it ever composts because, you know, the landfill, that, that's a whole other. Got it. And I, I want to make sure we highlight this section to our listeners that are interested in seeing what the tenants look like, how they've spelled it out. I know you can go on just how they have a dedicated sustainability section, but also if you go onto their Twitter, social media, they also have, you know, direct links to the medium piece that they just put out. I highly recommend looking at it and to any other food operators, look to it as a testament of what can be done, what your North Star should be. So the last talking point I want to make sure we explore is around online food delivery in general, third-party platforms. And I think it's now even more interesting considering you started using Seamless Web when it yeah. was first announced. I mean, literally the early days of online food delivery at all. So there's this really interesting narrative surrounding food today where consumers probably want to order on these platforms, it's difficult to tell because of how many incentives are being passed through to customers. Mm -hmm. But let's assume that yes, there is accelerating demand for online delivery. From the flip side of the coin, there's this tension with restaurants around it being kind of a quote unquote necessary evil. The fees are pretty steep. Margins tend to be slim. How do you think about this narrative, kind of broadly speaking, and then within the context of just salad, you know, how, how do you guys think about using third-party delivery in a strategic way to meet your customers where they want to be? Well, yeah, I, so I agree. There's been 100%, there's a tremendous growth going on in food delivery. And uh, certainly that growing in general has slowed, but it's been the last few years, it's been phenomenal growth. And salad, strangely, is one of these, like has fallen into these category like uh, pizza, Chinese food, salad, these are all great products for delivery, you know, that travel better than, let's say, Mexican food or hamburgers or pasta. And so there's a tremendous demand on the delivery side for our product. And so we've definitely always wanted to meet that demand wherever it is. And so we've been a big partner of with Grubhub we started relationships, not as big, but with DoorDash and, and Uber Eats. And I've never viewed it as tension, honestly. I know a lot of restaurant companies do, but look, you, you want to use them, use them. If you don't want to use them, don't use them. And then, you know, but don't complain that you're not getting the revenue you need. I think you can be creative. So that's what a delivery fee is for, right? If you have to charge $2.99 to $4.99 to make it economically feasible, do it, charge it, and let the customer decide if they want to do it or not versus whining about it and saying, you know, it's not fair, it's not fair. That, to me, is just not productive. And these guys are going to charge what they need to charge. And it's not like they're making money hand over fist. And mm -hmm. so I think, frankly, where, where it is now seems pretty fair to me overall. But also, I come at it from a perspective of a chain. And we might not be getting the same rates as certain 
mom and pop restaurants. But if we did, then sure, we drop, we, we would potentially drop it and look to do it through our own channels. But overall, I view these guys pretty positively of what they've done to the restaurant industry. And I know you also talked about how the Just Salad app is a pretty popular yeah. tool of your customer base. And it makes sense, especially if you're coming in often, there's probably loyalty elements involved. Yeah. But do you see a future where you try to drive most, if not all, of the transaction volume through fully owned channels? Or do you see a future where, you know, these are partners that you look to work closely with over time? And Yeah, I am not as obsessed as some other brands of owning the data and owning the customer, so to speak. I feel like if we have a great product at a great price, which I think we have the best product and the best price in our category, that owns the customer. That the customer, whether they order from us on Grubhub, Uber, DoorDash, or our own channels, that they're gonna find us one way or the other because they don't want a salad. They want just salad. And I think if we make that happen, we own the customer through that, not necessarily because we have their email address. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Nick, in every interview, uh, I do a thing called the lightning round where I ask a set of questions and you try to answer them in 30 seconds or less. Okay. Now's that time. Okay. You ready to go? Sure, let's do it. <laughs> All right, so the first question is... <laughs> Gotta make sure. Right. Do you buzz, do you buzz after the ghost? I'll give you a little tap signal. Okay. Um, what is the most interesting innovation you've seen in food and beverage in, let's say, the last couple of years? Could be materials, could be a concept, but what's the most interesting thing you've seen in the category more broadly? I think what is going to happen with drones and self-driving cars as a form of delivery is looking at a lot and seems really interesting to me. Yeah. Cool. I think that's going to be like a whole other thing to be aware of. Love that. Second question is about things that you would do if you weren't working on Just Salad. You've now been going for 14 years almost, right? Right around 14 years. Very monogamous. (laughs) (laughs) So the question for you is, if you weren't working on just salad, what problem area would you be exploring and why? I think sustainability is something that I would be focused on from a capitalist standpoint, to be perfectly honest. Love it's it. something I'd, I'd love to help try and fix. And I think there's also a lot of money to be made in this space the next few decades. Love it. Yeah. Uh, third question is, who has had the greatest impact on your learning and why? The learning. I mean, my mom and dad um, definitely have been central. My mom's like a neuropsychologist, so there's a lot there. And then my dad, he ran his own business, so there's a ton of learning there. And then Warren Buffett is someone that I've always read his annual reports, and I've gone to a bunch of those annual meetings in Omaha. And uh, I just think that he's such a good person, but also an the probably the Michael Jordan of, of capitalism, at least of the last 100 years. So, wow. yeah. Love that. The last question of lightning round, and it's one of my favorites. So looking forward, assuming all the stars align, where is Just Salad in 
two, three years. Part of the national rotation of lunch and dinner for America, you know, where it's someone's turning to their um, husband or wife and saying, are you going to McDonald's or Taco Bell, Pizza Hut or just salad tonight? You know, or at lunch, do you want Chipotle, Panera, just salad? And I think we want to be that health and wellness solution to not just wealthy people in urban markets, but we want to actually be a solution to everyone. Wow. Nick, handled the lightning round with ease, (laughs) sailed through it. (laughs) You didn't need it. You didn't need it. Um, Before we part ways, I just want to lay out the red carpet. Is there any kind of final call to actions or plugs you want to leave with our listeners? And I get to do that. Shoot. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, look, we go to, go to our website, check us out, justsalad.com. And the most important section is menu. Second most is sustainability, because if you don't want a product, you can't be uh, sustainable. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we, we hope you grab a reusable ball and uh, we can be a solution to health for you. Amazing. Nick, this was so much fun. Thank you for coming. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing and writing us a review. Also, if you have any recommendations about a founder or a company that you'd like to see on the show, let us know. Message us on social at InGoodHands. Also, special shout out to Dan Mahoney, who produced this week's episode, and Eddie Knuckles, our music director. I'm your host, Peter Levin. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at PeterA11. And that's it. Looking forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.